iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. There we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. How are you guys doing tonight? You doing all right? Yes. I'm counting on you. Thank you, Evan. Yes. Awesome. Welcome, guys. We're going to have a good time tonight. Before we get into it, a couple of quick things. For those of you unfamiliar with Mr. Leguizamo's work, there may be some mature language this evening. So we just want to give you a heads up and let you know about that. All right. So you know that going in. We've told you now. Now it's fair game. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jordan Hoffman from UGO.com, and tonight's guest, John Leguizamo. Okay. How are you? Thank you for coming down, everybody. Appreciate it. That's right. We, um, Represent. We're not giving away any free Apple products, but it is great to have John Leguizamo here with us, and we're celebrating the release of uh, the box set of three of your HBO specials that were originally theatrical productions. I finally got the rights reverted back to me after, like, how many years now? Like, 20 years? So uh, that's why I'm releasing them so late in the game. Is that true? You've been trying totally. to get the rights I, for all I these couldn't. Stuff? You know, once you sell it, I should be saying, I sold it to a certain network, and, you know, they, they own it for, like, almost your whole lifetime, and... But then eventually it comes back to you, and then I owned it, and now I can release it. Awesome. So you're just going to be standing out on the corner. Hocking it with a sandwich board, you know. <laughs> Get your free DVD and a massage. Well, you know, it's cool because to uh, people perhaps in other cities or not in major metropolitan areas know John from his film work, but those of us in New York know that every three years or so, we're going to see your face on the top of a cab, and it you're going to be, <laughs> be doing another one of these... Yeah. Uh, one-man productions, they're, they're halfway between scripted shows and uh, stand-up, and they've sort of evolved over the years. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how do you describe the work that's represented uh, on these three DVDs? Well, I, I, to me, they're more like plays. I mean, the Mambo Mouth was a, was a collection of uh, monologues, and, and, and the, the, the thing that they had in common was the same neighborhood. Cool. And, uh, and then Spicorama was about my family, but in code, because... They would do, there would be consequences. <laughs> and, uh, and one day my mom decodes the whole, breaks the code, and she like came out to me, how could you do this to me? Look, everybody looking at me because they know me. You make me look like a disco puta. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't very happy about it. Uh, but it was a play, you know, it was, it was, it was a, in a Rashomon style. It, it was, there were still monologues and I was still dressing up as characters and stuff. And they were all talking about the same event, which was the wedding. And each one moved closer to the wedding until the end, which was the wedding. And the father does the big speech around the wedding. And then uh, Freak was, was uh, a more autobiographical piece, sort of a uh, bashing of my father, because uh, uh, he's my Darth Vader. And, uh, and that's what Freak was. And, and you know, it's, it's a play. It's linear from beginning to end. And this time I played myself, no costumes. I just love the power of imagination, man. And I feel like the power of storytelling can take people to so many incredible places and they can see places and costumes and, and, and different characters. And, and that's, that's what I love to be able to make people see all that stuff. Yeah. And then Sexaholics is the third one in the... Uh, yeah. In the, uh, you want to talk about the, because there is definitely, when you watch all three in a row, as I did this weekend, yeah. <laughs> uh, you will see a progression from the three that Spicorama, and by the way, as a, Liberal New York Jew. It pains me to have to say that title here, but it's, you know it's, it's a little glad, difficult. But you know, but, it was banned. It was banned in Texas and in Canada. Really? And Canadians don't even have spics. I don't even know <laughs> what they were trying to prove. So what did they call it? They didn't show it. 
Oh. It was banned. It wasn't. It, it, you couldn't even call it. You couldn't even order Rama. So it, because they were so PC, they didn't want to give a, a mm -hmm. young Latino actor a shot. And well, in, in Texas, you know, they well, don't like us anyway. I mean, uh, that's probably the reason Canada. why they didn't show it. I was thinking of Canada. I oh, wasn't yeah, even talking Canada, about that. The crazy, the most PC place in the world. Yeah. I performed there, and it was so strange. The reporter said to me, you know, they're not going to laugh, eh? They're going to be incredibly quiet, eh? They're very polite. It's not that they don't like you, eh? Right. And I start performing in this... It's, it's like this. No, and I thought they hated me. And then at the end, they, you know, they stand up and give an applause. But they're the politest people in the world. Okay. Just so be ready if anybody are comedians or trying to do your comedy shows up there. So, uh, but uh, there is a, uh, um, a progression between Spicarama, which has a lot of costume right. changes and its uh, little vignettes. Right. And then Freak is... Um, is still in characters. There are little, there are vignette stories within a longer narrative. And right. then Sexaholics, you know, one could describe it as you, microphone going off and telling well, a story. I, I never did stand up. Stand up was not my thing. I, I did, my, mine were performance art and plays. And uh, I wanted to try that stand up thing and see, because my mentor is Richard Pryor. And I was saying, let me see if I could try this thing. And that's what Sexaholic was that. That was an experiment for me to see oh. if I could do that with the mic and everything. And it was interesting because it was different. It, it took away one of my hands. And, and all, all of a sudden, the acting was more, it was different. I couldn't do it, the vignette thing as much. Oh, oh. It had to be more like quicker and faster. So you have a, a new project that you're taking around. Uh, the country right now, yeah, which is called Ghetto Clown, and which I haven't seen. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about You're that? You're bad <laughs> uh, and lost. Uh, Ghetto Clown is about my career, mm -hmm. so you know uh, that that one just like it's kind of my James Joyce version of portrait of a, of a of a of a young man as an artist, except this is portrait of a middle aged man as an artist, and uh, it's about career, you know, and what made me want to be an artist and. Why do I continue <laughs> and the success and the failures and all that? And, and, and uh, this time I try to do impersonations of Pacino, Steven Seagal. You know, I added a whole bunch of different things. Uh, well, you mentioned that uh, some of your work is autobiographical but in code. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is very important because, you know, you, you draw from your life experiences. Yeah. You want to be funny. You want to entertain. But you know that the people that you want to support you are your family. Right. So what is that... Internal turmoil, like when mom and dad are going to see Spicarama, and you know that you're gonna, you know, say some things that may be well, it's direct not from such life. an internal turmoil because it just causes outright problems. <laughs> uh, you know, my father tried to sue me, he was gonna sue me to, to stop doing freak, and uh, you know, and, and the plays cause. you know, I mean, I'm saying a lot of things that nobody wants to say. You know, Eugene O'Neill did Long Day's Journey Tonight. It was published after he died because it was about his family, right. which is the way I should have done it. But I couldn't wait because I have ADHD. So I had to do it right now. And, uh, you know, it caused a lot of rifts. You know, I became, you know, I just, my family, a lot of, some of my family members don't talk to me. Others were mad. Some of them I bought with brownstones, like my mother. That's why I love her because she has a price tag. So it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it's a mm. decision. It's a, it's, a, it's a calculation you need to make. Uh, what's interesting is having watched all three of the, of the DVDs in the box set this weekend, uh, there are, you know, um, it's not 100% autobiographical because there are things in the first one that you say, my brother is this, and then you have a different brother. So yeah. there are changes. But there are a couple things that are... No, no, I mean, I, 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 I didn't want to say my brother's real name. Right, right. Because he already hates me enough. I didn't, I didn't want to, like, push it to the, you know, if I say his real name. And 
So, you know, I, I try to confuse sure, that a sure. little bit. Yeah. But there were a couple, and I wrote them down, there were a couple of threads that appeared in all of the work. So these clearly must be true. So I wanted to talk to you about this. When you were younger and growing up, you had a friend, because he appeared in, in yeah. all the shows, kind of a dopey guy with a low voice yeah. who would repeat. Can you tell us a little bit about that character and, and, and how he would speak? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it, it's based on two friends, my friend Goldo and, and, and my friend Ray. And, uh, you know, and, and they were just a little older than me. And they were, uh, Ray was a little older. And he was my best friend. And he introduced me to all the girls at school. And he was the coolest guy. So by default, I got, you know, some of the runoff. <laughs> and uh, that was great for me because I wasn't that cool like him. Right. And uh, he just introduced me to everything, you know. He was like, like the older brother I always dreamed of. And, uh, and he, really had that he really had that voice? Yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to do is I wanted to get, I really like to hear that voice. It's really funny. <laughs> you know, he talked like that, you know. What's up, man? How you doing, John? You know, it's, you know, there's the kind of voice he had. It was like all like inside, like he couldn't come out, like he was emotionally repressed, but he wasn't. Maybe he was. I don't know. That was the one I was rewinding a lot. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah, cracked yeah. me up. It just cracked me up. He, so, his voice cracked me up, too. <laughs> I used to just crack up listening. I used to like to let him talk. It was like that voice, but like it makes you restful and puts, puts you to sleep sometimes. When did you discover you had the talent for voices? Uh, I think back in Jackson Heights, it was interesting because we had so many ethnic groups, you know, and, and I moved every year. So I was always having to make friends quickly and, and, and enemies quickly at, at every year. So I had to be funny all the time. And, and with all the ethnic groups and everybody's voices so fascinating to me. I was, you know, always imitating. We had, you know, the, the German neighbor next door telling us to shut up. You people are so damn loud. And then, you know, you had a nice Jewish lady who would come outside for Halloween. I'll give you a little extra candy if you're nice. You can help me mow the lawn. That'd be terrific. You know, in, in Jamaican, yo, come on, tell me something blood clot. I'll be slapping you down your body, foo-foo. <laughs> and you had all these voices, man. And it was like, that was my thing to imitate them and repeat them for my friends. And they loved it. So, hey, right. that, that, was my, that was my intro into Friends. So could you imagine ever growing up in someplace other than Queens, like a, a neighborhood that was just one... One ethnic group or that, I mean, how much do you owe Queens for, for your career, do you think? I, I, I owe the amazingness of New York and Queens that it's such a melting pot, such an international, you know, little Petri dish. And, and, and the, that's what happened, you know, exactly. All these cultures mixing and, uh, and the beautiful conversations. And, and also, you know, you had, you had a lot of battles and fights, too. But that was also it ended up being uh, sort of uh, formative for me. So another part that I noticed was repeated in all of the works, so there had to be a lick of truth to this, is that uh, when your father would drink, yeah. he would become the sweetest man in the world. Not a lot or of the times... nicest motherfucker in the world, <laughs> as I think I said. <laughs> a lot of times, when, when this bit starts, they, when my father would drink, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to hit his son. I don't mm. want to see this. It's going to get depressing. And then there's these beautiful moments between no, you and opposite. your father. Yeah. So this is taken from life. Yeah, yeah, my father, it was crazy, you know, some, some people are mean drunks, not my father. My father was the gushiest, loving, crying dad when he was drunk. He was just, was a sweetheart, you know, it was all about love. And then the rest of the times, he was the, the, the mean, authoritarian, dictatorship dad. <laughs> now, the other thing that comes up in all three of these DVDs, and it's, it's, it's your work, not mine. You talk about a small penis a lot <laughs> in, your, in your work. <laughs> I just, and, uh, a small penis is funnier than a, than a large penis. <laughs> so, so, for comedy's sake, yeah. we'll, per we'll perpetuate the myth and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, why not? What the fuck? I got on to lose. I already got two kids. 
Um, so now that this box set is out, uh, a moment ago it was up the uh, cover of it. I don't know if uh, some of these guys work for Apple. They can do anything with the computer because the artwork is really terrific. And of course, there you go. And like I say, those of us that live in New York remember this was the style of artwork for, for all of your shows, I think. For Freak. For Freak, for freak. okay. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about this artist and how he got involved in representing you in a visual medium? Because I think it's fantastic. Yeah, he, he, he's unbelievable. And uh, I, 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 I saw his sample work. It was in, um, in, a, in, a, in a New York Times magazine. And uh, I, I wanted that guy's work to represent me, to represent what I was trying to do with Freak. And it was so vibrant and alive. And it had a little bit of... R. Crumb in it, J.R. Crumb, and a little bit of a 60s vibe to it. And, uh, and then shortly after he did Freak, he did Clinton on the cover of New York Times Magazine, <laughs> which me and Clinton, you know, we, we run in the same circles. Bill no, Bill Clinton is doing the animation for my new movie. I love him, too. Are you really doing a Bill Clinton movie? No, Bill Clinton is doing the animation yeah. for my movie. That's fantastic. I love yeah. Bill Clinton. He's incredible. Let's, we were going to get to what you're up to next later, but, but how are you involved with Bill Clinton? P-L-Y-M-P. Yeah, yeah, the great animated, animation yeah. artist. You know, and uh, I'm doing a movie called Fugly, kind of, kind of based on my life, and uh, submitting it to Sundance next week. And Bill Clinton is doing all the animation in, uh, interstitials and fantasy oh, okay. sequence in, in, in cartoon. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's how I run, you know. That's what I roll, roll with that type of artist. That's no joke, Bill Clinton. That's great. Um, uh, you, I follow you on the Twitter. Oh, you don't. I do. I, you know, yesterday Let I signed up. Let me see your up. phone, goddammit. I am on here and here. I did. <laughs> People say all kinds of no, shit. No, no, no. You'll see. You'll see. No, here's how I can prove it. Because I was looking, in, and you were recently in... You met with the president of Columbia. Yes, it did. Now, I assume you meant like the president of Columbia Pictures or something, but you actually met with... <laughs> The president of the yeah. sovereign nation of Colombia. What the heck were you doing down there? I was promoting Ghetto Clown. <laughs> and at the same time, I said, you know, I had told some polit political people, I said, I really would like to help bring the film industry down there. But you guys got to come up with a, you know, 40% tax rebate and it's got to be up front. You know, all this stuff that I know as a producer now. Mm -hmm. and, and the president said, yeah. I said, damn, all right. And he made me the ambassador of film to Colombia. Wow. So you, I'm sitting here with an ambassador right yeah. now. Yeah. How about a round of applause? Look at that. There's no money. <laughs> I just want to tell you up front, there ain't no cash. So, but this it's is, a lot of work and responsibility and no cash. But this no is cheddar. great. You are, so you are helping to, in a way, underwrite new artists coming out of, a, of an emerging nation that are going to potentially lead to greatness. Yeah, I mean, there's so many artists in, in, in Latin America and South America, and it, and it, it should be just great to create, like Mexico was back in the 50s. It was the, the heyday of Mexican cinema, but it was for all Latin people, you know? Yeah. It was like, that was the, 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 the center and the medium, and hopefully Colombia being where it's located can help all the other countries centralize it and, and you know, and uh, give out the cash and create a, 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 a Columbia wood. Wow, that's pretty neat. Um, I have to ask you also, you mentioned that you had two kids. Have they seen um, Ice never. Age? Have they seen Ice <laughs> no, Age? No, no, I thought you said freak. And no, they're never going to see my work. No, but they can let them see Ice Age, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They have were they... in Ice Age 3. Really? They, had, they were like uh, Aardvark Boy and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure, uh, Platypus Girl. I don't know what it was. Well, well, one of the first major feature films we saw you, and it's something that if I didn't talk to you about it, I'd kick myself later, is, of course... Super Mario Brothers, a movie that has... <laughs> See, in time, people love everything. They, they, so. You guys must be under 20. That, that's how I could tell. Pe people love Super Mario Brothers. I want to tell you, this is 
John, yeah. this is your night. Your DVDs are coming yeah. out. But let me take a moment and tell you a quick story. Yeah, share, share, please. <clears throat> so I'm working at the Lowe's Cinema 6 in Freehold, New Jersey on Route 9. I'm in high school, okay? And if you work in the box office, you're in a glass cube in the middle of the parking lot. And if you're working in the summer yeah. in the matinee, you're by yourself in the middle of an empty sea of a parking lot. There's nobody there, right? So I'm sitting there. It's 12 o'clock. I see one car drive in, park, an old man comes out. He's walking, he's walking, he's walking up to the yeah. box office. He goes to, <clears throat> his wife comes out. She's coming out, the puss on her face. <laughs> he goes, come on. He gets, two of them get to the front of the box office, and they're arguing. Yeah. <clears throat> and he says, listen, I'm a plumber. And I'm named Mario. And if they're going to make a picture about a plumber named Mario, I'm going to go see it. So he went and saw Super wow. Mario Brothers. Came that must out have been a life-changing moment for him. <laughs> he came out 90 minutes later. I said, what do you think? He goes, not so good. <laughs> At least he was an honest plumber. So um, memories of Super Mario Bros. It was the first video game movie. And it now was the first huge, video you know? game movie, and I guess you got to give it credit for that, <laughs> for being the first. I mean, we, we were hoping it was going to be huge, and um, in the middle of production, I kind of realized that it was not going to be the movie that I thought it was going to be. Uh, they promised us, you know, we're going to ad lib and re rewrite our parts, and uh, that started stopped happening kind of early on. But I had a great time. I met, you know, one of my great friends, Fisher Stevens, there, and Bob Hoskins was a pleasure, and Samantha Mathis. Uh, I mean, we had a blast. And Dennis Hopper was the was Dennis the Hopper villain. man. Yeah, one of the, one of the greats. I've done three, like three movies with him or two, so I can't remember. Wow. And I leave what, what a sweetheart. I mean, you know, Easy Rider, and yeah. so the cast was incredible. And we had a blast. And, you know, the movie, eight-year-olds like it. You know, there's no accounting for their taste, but, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it was my first big lead. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of money. And, you know, for a Latin dude back in that day, that was huge. So, you know. So in a little bit, we're going to kick it out to the audience. So if you have some questions that you want to formulate in the back of your mind. We're not there yet, but just But I'm glad tight. you already formulated <clears throat> He's a quick For, formulator. Formulate in the back of your mind, and in a few minutes, we'll, we'll have some questions. Remember, that questions do end in a question mark, so keep that in mind. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, when people buy the box set, as I hope they do, they'll see that Freak, uh, which is uh, in some ways the centerpiece, because it's th the one in the middle, right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, was um, directed by Spike Lee, which a lot yes. of people may not realize. Now, did he direct the theatrical production as well? No, no or he, just read, the, he directed the HBO version. So, uh, which then led to your working with him on Summer, Summer of Sam. Summer Sam, exactly. So we had such a blast working together on, on Freak. Yeah, it's my favorite too. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he just, we just connected, man, in so many ways. You know, he's from New York City, urban, and, and he wants to create stuff that's so visceral and raw on film, and that's what I, I, I wanted, you know. And we, we worked together to create Freak and make it, I wanted it to feel like a documentary, less like a, you know, like a like a polished comedy show. And we kept some of the mistakes, like when, I, when I, yeah. the, the camera guy stands in my way, we kept all that shit in it to keep it raw. And, uh, and, and we just, we, we made a friendship for the rest of our lives. So are you normally brought in to the editing room when these productions no, are being put together? I'm not. But, but for, that, for this one, though, Spike there was... Spike invited me. Yeah. He said, you know, it's your show, John. You, you, know, you know it better than anybody else. Come on in and do it. And, and that was, it was when you were cutting that when he realized that you'd be good for the part of Vinny... In yeah, Summer yeah. Sand, which you can believe it's ridiculous at the time was controversial to some people. I mean, I remember you were on the Charlie Rose show having to defend yourself because you were a Latin dude playing an Italian guy. Which right, right, I had now to. Now I think 
I think now that wouldn't be an issue. I know, but what's so ridiculous? Pacino can play Puerto Rican in, in Carlito's way and, and uh, Colombian in Scarface, but if I try to do the, you know, the same thing and flip it, then we got a problem. Right. Hey, you know, That's... America. <laughs> <laughs> um, guess what? I think we have time for some questions from the audience, right? All right. Okay, so my friend here is going to hand you a microphone so you do not have to shout. Unless you and like to shout, and then you don't need the mic. Well, let's start right up front here. Hi, John. Uh, how did you develop Sid the Sloth, and what's the plot for Ice Age Continental Drift? Uh, well, I, I gave the, the director... You want to repeat the question? Or something? Oh, he yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to know how I created the voice for Sid the Sloth and Ice Age. Yeah. Con Continental Drift. Ice Age 4. Right. Okay. It's called Continental Drift. I can understand. Uh, well, I, you know, I gave the director like 50 voices for Sid the Sloth, you know, and, you know, thinking sloth are slow, I was like, a lot of southern type voices like these. Yuck, uh, yuck. And uh, then I tried very hard. I tried to add one of these, like an Indian voice. I tried to be different and controversial. But he didn't like any of that. I gave him like 50 voices on a, on a little, you know, DVD thing. And, um, and then I, I said, give me some, uh, you know, Discovery Channel footage of sloths. And I realized, and I learned that, you know, they store their food in their cheek pouches and keep it for so long that it ferments so they're drunk all the time. So I walked around <laughs> with a sandwich and I stuffed it in my snack and all of a sudden this voice started to come out like this. So I called the director and I go, guess who this is? It's Sid the Sloth, man. I discovered the voice for the character. And that's, I, I God, that's how I came up with it. I'm not allowed to talk about the plot for Continental Drift. You know that. I have to sign a whole contract. It's so goddamn confidential. But I, I tell you, I think it, the plot is really tight. It's hilarious. It's one, it's one of my favorites besides the first. I know you're up for it. Hey, John. My name is Roger French. It's an honor to be here with you tonight. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was uh, interested in uh, your game plan for attracting films to Columbia. Oh, what, what Can I'm, you talk I, about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I'm going to try to do for them as the ambassador of film to, to Hollywood is uh, I've given them some... I told the president and... and, and, and um, I can't remember the other people working for him. So the arts, cultural, the cultural arts, um, uh, minister, minister of cultural arts. And I told him that you got, you, got to, you got to put ads in Variety. You got to put ads in Hollywood Reporter. You have to make DVDs of the landscape. You know, you have, you have, they have desert, like... Uh, environments, jungles, city, urban. So you can, and uh, the thing is to talk to producers, tell them that this is available and that they can come down there and, and you get the rebate up front, which is the biggest perk because most rebates are in the back, you know. I mean, I, and, you know, I've been... Uh, Catherine Oliver, who works in New York City and, and does the rebate of 30% for New York, has brought a lot of business to New York. And, you know, because we lost a lot of business for a while and it's so good to have it back in New York and... And I want people to shoot in New York and Colombia and in Puerto Rico. So, you know, I, I'm trying to come up with as many ways to help that industry come there instead of going all the way to Louisiana and Canada and, and Hungary, which is where they've been going for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, next question, middle, second row. Hi, John. <laughs> um, How you doing? <laughs> man, I'm nervous. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring Latino writers, actors, filmmakers, et cetera? Well... You know, for actors, I mean, which is easier, I know that path a little, a little better. I, I, I say go to the best acting teachers 
in the, in the world, go to those classes because you're going to have the they're going to teach you the, that skill that's going to make you different than everybody else and better than everybody else. Plus, you're going to make connections there, and and uh, that's what I did. You know, I studied with Lee Strasberg, even though he died that night. It's probably my acting too. Wait, that so that part him. was true in the show yeah, that he actually died. I was in his class. I stayed in the in the school, but in his class one day. And uh, I've killed other acting teachers, <laughs> Herbert Berghoff, <laughs> Ken Yulo, and never, never mind. And uh, I just just find those acting teachers, and, and I think it goes the same for the writing. It's just try to find the the, the best mentors and people who are going to guide you and give you, you know, and, and that piece of their soul is going to through osmosis come to you, and, and you're going to find your path, you know, and, and just go for that path and. And try to do as much work as much as you can, man. That's the way you you, you get a technique. Act, write, do whatever you can. If if, if they don't, if, you know, do do a production. Just get in there somehow, man, and and just be close to it. And you're gonna learn so much and just be open. Great. Uh, next question in the third row. Hi, John. It's really nice to meet you. Thanks What's for up, doing man? this. Um, I have a two-part question. One is. You mentioned Richard Pryor as being an influence for you. Could you list out some more comedians that you thought were influences? And I think good comedy, intelligent comedy like you do, is also powerful social commentary. You know, you're saying something about society, people read into it, whatever, whatever. Did you see at any point during your career you making a transition from making funny jokes to more, more commentary about society? I don't know if that's too vague of a question, but... No, no, no. I mean, I mean it definitely... It's in my mind when I'm creating. I mean, I definitely wanted to have some social import, you know, and I also wanted to have some political... I want to smuggle the social commentary. I want to smuggle it into my work. I don't want it to be, you know, I don't want to be on a soapbox. But it is... I mean, Richard Pryor, to me, was the most powerful and one of the funniest dudes and the rawest. I mean, he revealed such personal pain and, and it was still hilarious and, and he was such... A, you know, he, he talked about, you know, the social ills, and it was still hilarious. And you can do that. I, he showed us that you can do all this and still be incredibly hilarious and do voices and, and sketches and vignettes in your work. Uh, and I did start. You know, I started out a little less social commentary, obviously. It's a thing that you, you hopefully you, you mature into. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would do more voices, and I would do little one-man uh, plays. They were like... 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, there'd be detective pieces or biblical stories. And they were just for the jokes. And then I realized that, you know, after a point, I wanted to say more. I wanted my work to, to have something to, I wanted to matter more. And I wanted to feel more. I mean, you, you have to really, as an artist, feel what you're writing and what you're performing. If, you, if you're not risking something and you're not really suffering or, or, or going through some pain of what you're writing or, or presenting, the audience isn't going to feel it either. I think it's such a weird thing that you, you as artists have to feel it first before the audience feels it. Great. Next question in the second row. Hola, ¿qué tal? Yo soy Diana. Diana, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, ¿tú? Chévere. I have a two or threefold question. Um, what, are there any comedy schools that you would recommend or improv acting workshops for comedy? And do you want me to wait or keep asking? <laughs> uh, well, well, you know, I'm not as hip as to what's going on right now in the scene. Because I've been, I've been out of that part of this, that early part of the scene for a while. 
But you know, you you, you got to you, you, it's going to be part of your job to find what it is you like to do. You know, if you performance art, you got to find those places, and I'm sure they're more in Brooklyn than they are in Manhattan nowadays. And uh, and just the comedy club's got to be the same places. If that's if your thing is set up in punchline, then you got to be in those comedy clubs. And and then there's the improv groups. I did a lot of that stuff, and that was really formative for me. That's really what helped me write my comedy was doing all the improv groups, Chicago City Limits, First Amendment back in the day, Improv Olympics, you know, find all those things. I'm sure it's so much easier now because it's all online. Yelp it or whatever it is <laughs> that people do now. Are you able to, uh, to go out and see, I mean, you keep a very busy schedule, you're with yeah. the president of Columbia, but do you still get out to theater and see up-and-comers and get excited, get that jazz? No, I, I, don't go, I don't go to comedy clubs as much. I mean, comedy clubs was not my thing. My right. thing was theater and performance art. Yeah. And that's the thing that I still go to theater. You know, I still yeah. go to see the, the, some great playwrights like Chris, Christopher Diaz, who, who did uh, the, the uh, incredible entrance of uh, Chad Deity, who, you know, he, he won New York Times Best Playwright of the Year last year. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I, 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 I love to go see. Okay, and um, also, as far as collaborations go, have you co-writted, have you collaborated with people, or are you interested in doing future collaborations with, uh, uh, within comedy? I, I collaborate more, not, not in my theater as much stuff, because I want it to be a personal vision, and it's, and it's such a personal story, but when I do movies, I definitely collaborate, co collaborate a lot. You know, I collaborate with Steve Chabowski, who's directing his, his book, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, and uh, so we did this, this, this uh, period comedy, kind of like uh, Black Adder. I don't know if you're familiar with that, sure. but, but a Latin version of that. <laughs> and uh, with Kathy DeMarco and Charles Randolph Wright, who's a big uh, director. You know, so yeah, I love collaborating with people, especially with film, because I think film is a little more technical okay. than theater. Would, would you be interested in collaborating with a Mexican-American musician who's been living in Mexico City the last eight years? Would that be you? <laughs> yeah, that's me. And film stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to see your, your work, you know, I, I, you know, I have to know you first <laughs> before I say yeah, but I'd be willing. Well, you know, now's a good time, actually, would love to hear, you mentioned that you are working on a film with animation that you're submitting to Sundance for yeah. next year, knock wood on yeah, that. Yeah. Um, a lot of snow, the elevation is high, make sure that drink a lot of water. I don't care, as long as my first. film is in there, I don't care <laughs> if they bring me in a gurney with an oxygen tank. <laughs> I just want my movie to get in. <laughs> so um, in addition to that, can you tell us what you have in the can that's about to come out, that you're working on? Give us a little bit of what we can expect sure. looking I'm, to the future, in addition to Ice Age 4 well, as well. Ghetto Clown is the first time I'm going to travel internationally. I never traveled internationally, and I'm going to go to uh, London right after L.A., and, and then I'm Australia in March. And I'm going to Colombia for the first time, then Puerto Rico and, and all of Latin America. So I'm going to translate it to Spanish for the first time, too. Oh, wow which is kind of tough because I lose half my jokes, so I have to come up with some new shit. And uh, I did this movie with Katherine Heigl called One for the Money. It's a big book series, uh, and it comes out in January. And, um, and then I, I, I did my, my, my movie Fugly with uh, Griffin Dunn and Rada Mitchell and uh, this great actor, Ewell Vasquez, that was just on Broadway in uh, MF with a hat. And Rosie Perez, who destroys it. So you wrote it and you directed it as well? Or no, you... I didn't direct it. Alfred, Alfred De Villa directed it. Who? This is his fourth film. He did uh, Washington Heights, oh, yeah, and, sure, and he sure. did uh, Nothing Like the Holidays. And I enjoyed working with him so much. I, I, I gave him my my baby, and and you know, and, and and this movie, you know, we shot it for 
you know, like just 1.5, so it was a tough shoot. Sure. Like, there's no more independent film, so it's really hard to. It's, it's Did to you shoot it on video on red? No, red. Yeah, the red. Yeah, high, high def. You know, it has its own problems. I don't know how many filmmakers are here, but the the, the red. It's got Apple a, store. They know about oh, technology, yeah. so <laughs> it's got its own problems. <laughs> the camera breaks down once every three shots, right? Exactly. It overheats. <laughs> Somehow they didn't put a fan. Just like your computer, you know, it's like it overheats. It's crazy. So you have to wait till it cools down, and by then you've lost your motivation, and you got to start up again. But it looks pretty awesome. You just still have, you still have a problem with. Low light, though. You got to overlight things a little bit. Otherwise, it, shit comes out too dark. Cool. Well, that's a lot of, that's a busy schedule we have uh, coming up ahead. It's exciting. It's a recession, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? <laughs> Two kids, right. Yeah, so, yeah. And I'm a Latin guy. You know, we got to work like four times as hard as everybody else. <laughs> Look at J-Lo. She's got perfume, cologne, <laughs> dances, sings. I mean, you got to do everything when you're Latin. You know, that's right. You mentioned dancing. And we, that was another thing. In all of the of the three videos, you work in some dancing, I love and the you dance. can dance. There's no, there's no oh, yeah. BS. You're I, I used to club good. a lot. There was a house parties. My wife is white, you know, and, and I'm not. And uh, when we have our families together, her family goes to one side of the house. They have drinks and they talk. My family <laughs> goes to the other side. We move the table, the dining room table, roll up the carpet, and we dance. That's what Latin people do. It's a part. It's a cultural thing. And it's did a you ever take influence. any lessons? Or that's just all au naturel. What we that's, see. That's from you. Just gotta. Be Latin, that's all. It's in you. It's in your blood. <laughs> we can dance in our heads. We hear that music. You don't even have to have music. Dun, uh, 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 uh. Well, that's pretty cool. Oh, um, okay, so there were some more questions from the audience. We do have some more time. We have a woman over. Yeah, I think we have time for two more. I got one in the fourth row here. Hi, John. How you doing? Um, first, I want to say big up to Murray Bertram High School. Bertram High. Hi, Bertram. <laughs> I graduated. Um, I can't believe it. Yeah, that's I didn't think I was going to make thinking. it. Um, I kind of have like two questions also. Um, first question would be, being a Latino born in New York, but from two different backgrounds, where and how do you find like your sense of self? And also, um, what does it mean to you to have such a diverse audience just like love your work? I mean, I, I, that's one of the things that I really love when I do my shows and I look out there in the audience and there's such a diverse race ratio out there. And, and you could tell by, I could tell by certain jokes what ethnic groups in my, in my house. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see, you know, really young and old people, white, black, Latin, Asian, everybody in the house. It's just such a warm feeling to know that when you tell something personal and universal, that, that I mean, personal, that it is universal. And that we all share the same soul and, and the same vibe. And, and it's such a shame that we have so many difficulties because it's so easy to, to unite and, 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 and to, you know, share a little soul experience, soul exchange. And um, what was the other part of the question? Well, that, that took a while. To get my sense of self took, took a while. That wasn't as easy. That was a, a long, long process because... You know, growing up in this country, you, we didn't see, we weren't on TV or movies anywhere, so you felt kind of, kind of disincluded somehow, and you felt like your dream was on a discount, not like everybody else's. So it was took a lot of self worth building up and uh, and giving myself a, a sense of permission that that I could achieve, and also not accepting no because there was a lot of you know people telling me constantly to change my name. My family say, stay out of the sun, try to pass for white as much as you can. And I was like, nah, why do I got to do that? You know, why? You know, my friends have done that. My, some of my Latin friends have 
change their names, even though they're, they're, they're way darker than I am, to, to like some white name. And, they, and those resumes get calls. And the ones with the Latin name don't get a call. I mean, it's... And I have a lot of other friends. We have these arguments. Should I change my name? And some have, and they have more success because they did actually change their name. But, you know, I somehow, because all my friends were, you know, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Colombian, Ecuadorian... Uh, you know, and, and, and they were my my goofing friends, and they were the, my friends that I shared some of my great fun times, and I just felt like I I couldn't run away from that. I, I needed to to give tri pay tribute to that and to my family, who I found incredibly funny, and and I wanted not to run away from that, but to give it, you know, a history and to give it a place and time and to give them a, a value, and that's why I write about them, and that's that's why I write. And also early in your career, you were you were offered roles that were the, you had some stereotypical roles. You had some some hard choices. You shot Harrison Ford for God's sake. I sakes, shot right? Harrison Ford. <laughs> I shot Pacino. I shot at Bruce Willis. I shot every A-list actor until they motherfucking have to use me. Yeah, because I mean that that was uh, I guess my genetic heritage was to have a gun in my hand and, uh, you know I you, I had to pay my dues and so I had to take these roles and. And you do what you can to get to a certain place. And then I said, you know, enough. Yeah. Fuck that shit. You know, I, I started writing my own stuff because it was like, I'm not given the chance to be who I felt I was. And, you know, I got into college. I'd educated myself. And still here I am playing the same drug dealer. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to have to write my own stuff yeah. and create my own material because there's not a medium for what I want to try to say and, and the people that I saw yeah. and experienced. Cool. Well, I think uh, one more question we have time for? Okay. Yep, we got one all the way in the back. All the way in the back. Excellent. Hi, John. First of all, I want to say that I'm a huge fan. Uh, Freak is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Thank me you, my brother, Thank Me and my brother still, anytime like, we eat platanos, it's like, if only for the platanos! <laughs> anyway, uh, I just wanted to ask um, about your process, because I know like a lot of comedians or actors, when they have like a big one-hour special, they work their material in clubs and kind of practice it and yeah. try to figure out what's funny. So how does that work for you? Because... You don't seem to really go to clubs and kind of work on the material. So how do you know if it's funny and clicking and all that? Well, I, I, I know when something is pretty much funny because I use myself as my, my own barometer. And, and I kind of go, if it makes me laugh, I, I'm, I hope that it makes other people laugh. But I know it makes me laugh. And, 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 I, and I write my stuff out. Because I, I write, you know, on a daily basis. I write, you know, all the things that happened to me, I need to put it down on paper and, 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 and uh, put it through that prism. So I write all the time. And so I end up with all this collection of stuff and I usually then I try to find a shape for it and then I, I, I have a piece and then I read it and read it to myself. And then eventually, when I feel like it's ready to be seen, I, I read it out loud and I, and I find, you know, before I used to go to all the performance art spaces when I was less known, you know. And, and I could go to, to those places and test it out. And, and it was more for the, to fix the structure and, and my themes. What, it, what is my premise? What am I trying to say? And to find out what it was that I was trying to say. And now, you know, that I'm well, well known, I have to like, like with Ghetto Clown, I would have to go to find clubs where nobody, not announce it and just read and then change clubs, change uh, theaters every week and go to a different theater. But that's, I still test it out. You still got to test it out. You know, it, Ghetto Clown took me like, you know, like four years to, to really hone that. And I wanted to really enjoy the process, you know, because that was my favorite part of being, of doing what I did was that testing it, you know, and, 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 and improvising and doing crazy things and failing sometimes. And it, that was all, and I wanted to really enjoy that process this time. 
So that's why I took my time, and I really, I really, I, I fell in love with 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 one man shows again, and with doing it, and I'm having a ball. All right, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Of course, guys, also don't forget, you can go to apple.com forward slash Soho for all the upcoming events. You won't believe some of the people we got coming in here. Uh, and you, you won't know who's going to be here if you don't check the website. So apple.com forward slash Soho. Always something going on. Take a look. And also, if you can't run to a computer immediately, if all you have is an iOS device, well, then you can download the free app. Apple Store app tells you the exact same thing. You could even sign up for technical support and all that fun stuff. It's really cool. It's totally free. And it's up there. It's in the exact same store where you find all the podcast and John stuff. So, guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We hope you had a good time. We hope you downloaded the podcast. And we can't wait to see you next time. Take care, night. Have the best evening ever.